I was up until 3 a.m. reading this book. Like, (laughs) this book had me in a chokehold. It did. You know, every breath I was like, I need to read this. I need to finish reading this book. And the book I'm talking about today is Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros. Anyway, this book is about a 20-year-old named Violet who lives in this fantasy world with dragons and stuff like that, right? And it's like, it's, um, the world is separated into different quadrants, right? So like when you reach a certain age, which I guess is 20 in this case, you get to choose if you want to be like a scribe or a healer or a dragon rider, which there's probably other ones, I don't remember, but the one we're focusing on in this book is dragon riders. And she wants to be a scribe, which is basically like, you know, a librarian, right? An archivist, whatever. And she's training, she's studying her whole life to be a scribe, just like her dad, right? But the problem is, is that her mom is the, like, commander of the dragon riders. And then, so when her dad dies, she's like, um, you gotta ride dragons because I'm not having a weak-ass kid, basically. (laughs) Like, that's basically what happens. Um, but the problem is, Violet is, like, fragile. Like, I guess she has a disability, she gets hurt easily um and i guess it's like she's the the violet has a physical disability where she just is fragile you know like her bones are brittle like you know you you know you've ever met someone where you like you hit them and they like bruise or you touch them and they like bruise like that's violet um so to become a dragon rider you have to go through all these tests and it's like the tests are so hard that people just be like dying like that is the job with the highest death rate to even become a dragon rider you have to go through all these tasks where you just like every day you might die so for her to be like so fragile is like girl you're gonna die and her mom basically doesn't care she's just like like if you can't pass the test then you're not worthy to be my daughter essentially as a brief synopsis that's like that's like the overarching concept and the vibes of this book were so nostalgic for me because it gives you that like fantasy dystopian vibes that reminds me of the Hunger Games Divergent area. It, it's, it feels very like Divergent coded, you know, because it has the whole quadrants thing where you choose what you want to do, you know what I mean? You choose like a society that you're going to live in. And it feels like this is, um, it feels like Dauntless a little bit. Like it feels like the whole dragon vibe, the whole thing training to be a dragon rider feels like very much like Dauntless. Um, and it really, it doesn't end there because even the love interests remind me of like Hunger Games. So it's like, this book is basically like if Hunger Games and Divergent and like, think of like a fantasy book that you read back in like, what, 2016 when that was really popping off. If all those vibes had a baby, that's what this book is. So I'm going to read this quote where, first of all, I just thought it was a good quote. And second of all, it gives you kind of like an idea of the vibe that we got going on here. Like this is in the, the very beginning of the book. So the quote basically says, The longer you wait on these steps, the greater your fear has a chance to grow. Cross the parapet before the terror owns you. I First of all, I thought that was a good quote because I was like, terror, like, owning you is so real. Honestly, I'm thinking about it in regards to public speaking where I'm like, yeah, that terror, that terror is in control. It owns me. <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes when I can't get it under wraps, it owns me. But um, so it kind of like gave me something to think about. I was like, oh, my gosh, like, terror can own you. Um, do you know face your fears before you let it for you before you ruminated on it too long and you can't even like you're not in control of your own being kind of thing but also like it's giving that very much like you know 
you gotta do this or you'll die like ye vibes of the divergent and the hunger games and even if you're scared you do it anyway because you might die like your life is at stake yeah it's also if i was to describe the vibes I, it has like some some sexy scenes and like you know the the relationship between the romantic like interest love triangle whatever we got going on here it reminds me of sarah j mass and i think that's because of the fantasy vibe so okay like i said earlier so we've got hunger games divergent sarah j mass baby fourth wing by rebecca yaros <laughs> that's what we've got going on here it's it's a lot of times i was like wow this feels like a little bit like sarah j mass not all the way here's the thing there's even like a uh Mad, you know, a creature, magical, mystical, whatever you call it, creature that I swear I've read about in Sarah J. Mass's books. I don't remember what it's called, like a, a wife, riv, riv, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> it's like a flying thing. And I was like, I swear to God, this was in Sarah J. Mass's books or something like that. Maybe it was another one. I don't know. I've read a lot of fantasy books. After a while, they start to kind of like blend together. But maybe that's just like. You know, like, maybe that's, like, a real part of mythology that they're both, like, borrowing from. I don't know. I should probably look that up. Anyway, so I wanted to talk about, in this non-spoiler part of the review, before we get into the, the deep stuff, I wanted to talk about how I thought the stuff with the dragons was super cool. Like, I was so into it. So, like, basically... In the dragon riding school, they're going through all these tests, right, to see who's worthy to ride the dragon. And then by the time they get to the point where they survive all those tests, they still have to convince the dragon to choose them to be their rider, right? So the dragons choose people that they think are the most worthy, whatever, whatever, whatever. But then when the dragons choose you, like, I love the relationship between the rider and the dragon. It kind of reminded me of my dog. <laughs> because like he me and him like we kind of move in tandem like we move as one sometimes like sometimes when I'm walking him like we when I like look at us like you know like I see myself kind of thing with him it's like wow we're really like a team right now like we're really like I got his back he's got my back we're a team um so it's giving me kind of like I don't know, it was sweet. I was like, oh my god, that's like me and my dog. Even though it's literally talking about like a fire-breathing dragon that's like 25 feet or bigger, tall. And I was like, <laughs> my dog is a pug. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. I, overall, I would rate this book as an 8 out of 10. I had a great time with this book. Like, I feel like you guys are like, wow, she's really raving about this book and she only gave it an 8 out of 10. Like, what the heck? But let me explain. So, I had a great time with this book. Um, it had a really strong beginning that, like, hooks you right out the gate. Um, and, and it reminds me of a time when I, like, literally devoured books. You know that Hunger Games time? When I was reading book after book after book, and I was like, wow, I can't get enough. And then they were turning books into movies, and the movies were, like, killer. Like, that's what this reminded me of. And while I was reading it, like, while I was reading this book, Fourth Wing, I, like, stayed up to read this book. Like, I read this book in two days. Like, from start, I started it. T two days ago and I finished it yesterday <laughs> so um I had a great time and because I it was like I kept staying up late to read the book like it was you know that vibe where you're like just 30 more minutes like please just I'll read for 30 more minutes and then it's 3 a.m and you're like damn might as well finish the book <laughs> like that's what happened to me um but the reason I gave it an 8 out of 10 and not like a 9 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 is because towards the end of the book I started to feel kind of predictable 
for me. Um, and I think it's because I'm someone who's read a lot of dystopians and a lot of fantasies. And so I kind of like knew the script. Like I kind of knew what was going on. I knew it was going to happen. I was like, okay, so, you know, the government is bad. You know what I mean? Like it was like that vibe. And I was like, okay, I saw that coming though. Like I, I like, can we get something different? But overall, the book was like great you know like I had a good time and even though I like predicted that stuff I'm like maybe that's just a me thing maybe that's because I was thinking while I was reading I was like if I were writing this book I would make this happen and then it, that would happen I'd be like damn did I just predict that <laughs> you know like um saying all that to say though writing is hard as hell and the fact that I had a great time while reading this book like I don't really have that many complaints but did it like blow me out the water the whole time no, but I had a great time reading it. Like, I liked it, you know? Um, so I would recommend this book. Like, I, if you're feeling like, you know, I, like, like you want that, like, nostalgia from the Hunger Games era. If you're, you know those posts where they're like, books I would kill to read again for the first time. And if you're like, you're the type of person who's like, oh my god, I would kill to read Hunger Games or I would kill to read Divergent or Sarah J. Mass again for the first time, read this book. Because it's, it's their baby, basically. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm going to move on to the spoiler part of the section. So if you haven't read the book, come back when you have. And if you have read the book, we're about to get into it. <laughs> that was weird. I'm sorry. I started like rubbing my hands together like, um, like I was uh, plotting something. So right out the gate when I was reading this book and I was like, you know, familiarizing myself with the world and the characters. And I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. Like, this is this is kind of like, you know, oh, I'm excited, um, but also confused because there's a lot of information happening. But that's just like all fantasy books for me. Um, it takes me a minute to figure out what's going on. And also something I have complaining about with Sarah J. Mass books and fantasy books in general. Why do you make these names that I can't read? Like, what? How am I supposed to say these dragons names? Sigail? What is that? How am I supposed to say that? Like, that made me mad. Whole time I was like, and like, I kept reading it. I was like, because why would you put two constants next to each other that you know I can't pronounce? Like, what language are you borrowing from? Oh my god. Anyway, that was not what I intended to talk about. So, yeah, I was familiarizing myself with all these characters, and I was like, okay, so this is this person, this is this person, and this is this person. Okay, these are our characters. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to get into it. And then, like, we have that scene where she's crossing that rickety bridge thing that they call a parapet, and she's talking to this one guy, and um, he, like, freaking dies. And I was, like, so shocked, because I was like, bro, I've only known you for, like, five pages and you're just dead already and the fact the reason I didn't see it coming was because the author gave us like so much backstory because I was like oh he's got a lot of backstory he's gonna be like you know he's gonna be one of our our characters like one of the people we need to we're gonna follow throughout the book and the man just like died in five pages I was like bro actually I don't even know if it was five pages because I was reading this like digitally like an ebook but it was five swipes for me and I guess I should have seen it coming because he was like, I guess it was like, I know that character was a lesson for us to be like, um, people are going to be overly confident and cocky that they are going to be the ones to survive this like death school, basically, to become a dragon rider. Um, but they are like so blinded by the allure of success and prestige that they are like stupidly arrogant um, because the author gave us hints. She was like, oh, his mom didn't want him to apply to this you know quadrant to become a rider and he has a fiance waiting at home so it was like all that build-up i was like oh he's good you know what i mean like he might die in the middle of the book maybe and then it'll be sad but like five pages 
five pages when we meet him? Damn. I was like, damn, bro. What happened? Yeah. And then I like that quote that they said in the book. Like, it was like, don't borrow tomorrow's trouble. I like that. I was like, oh, shit. Don't borrow tomorrow's trouble. Like, that's actually fire. <laughs> like, I, I need to stop borrowing tomorrow's trouble for sure. Will I stop? Probably not. But I will practice. Anyway, um, so another thing I want to talk about is this whole Dane versus Zayden thing. Now, this is just like reinforcing exactly what I said at the beginning of this episode. Because they just feel like Peta and Gale. Like, Dane is Gale and Zayden is Peta. Like, from the Hunger Games. Like, it's the same thing. And I was like, bro, this is the same shit. Like, this is really crazy. And it kind of made it kind of like, okay, like, I know it's going to happen. Because it felt like Dane is Gale. He's going to be suffocating. And he's going to be, like, saying, I know best. I know best. I'm trying to protect you. And then do something that hurts Violet, our main character's feelings. Because, you know, this is a Hunger Games spoiler if you haven't read Hunger Games yet. Because, you know, like, that's exactly what happened in Hunger Games. Gail was like, oh, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for you. And then in the end, he killed her sister. Like, damn. <laughs> was that for her, too? <laughs> like, no, it wasn't. It wasn't for her. That scene was actually so sick. Because the whole reason the series started was because she was trying to protect her sister. And then in the end, the sister, like, died because of Gail. Like, that was so sick <laughs> of Suzanne Collins to do. Anyway, we're not talking about Hunger Games right now. Um, so... That whole dynamic, I was like, bro, this is, this is the same thing. Um, except Zayden is like, um, you know, he's not like our, Peta, Peta's kind of like, you know, a soft boy. Like, he's kind of sweet, and he's only like, even though life was so mean to him, he's still such a sweet person, um, at his core. Like, he's the goodness that Katniss needs in her life, but that is not Zayden. Zayden, he's he's Peta in the way that he pushes Violet to be a better version of herself without pushing her too far. Whereas Dane like coddles her, you know, and is like, oh, I'm protecting you, I'm protecting you, but never lets her like do what she needs to do to grow as a person and as like a dragon rider or whatever. But Zayden is like, you know, angry Peta. <laughs> he's he's a, a, a sexy angry Peta who kills people. <laughs> no second no second thoughts like he'll kill you um i guess Peter would kill people too but like it would have to be a last resort he would have to be like this is there's no other option you know what i mean um whereas that's more violet's vibe violet is more like oh my god like either i die or you die and i even if i might die i might just like fatally wound you but not like actually go for the death blow so they're not like exactly the same but as far as the whole love love triangle dynamic goes it's really like kind of eerily similar. And another thing I was wondering about these characters, I was like, is Zayden black? Like, because here's, here's the thing. I'm about to go on a tangent. I'm just telling you now. They describe in the book Zayden's cousin, Zayden's cousin, as having tawny brown skin and a cloud of black curls. And then the book also goes on to say that Zayden looks like his cousin. So I was like, oh shit, is he black? And then I looked it up like online. I was like, bro, is this... Like, I looked up fan art of the, of the, what's it called? The book. Like, I typed in, like, fourth wing fan art. And it was, like, a white man. Like, and it, it was giving Italian. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it was giving, it was giving an Italian man with curls. Like, bronze. Really. And I was like, is that brown skin, though, for real? I don't know if that's brown skin. And so, <laughs> I was like, so is he black or not? Like, I looked on the author's Instagram 
for like maybe more clues, like official fan art or whatever. And it's like the same. Like it's just, it's a white guy, you know? It's a white guy with wavy hair. Some people made him a black guy. Some people. Hold up, I'm looking. I'm looking at her page now again to see if, see if we got some official fan art or something. Like there's nothing. All right, I'm done looking. I'm done investigating. So the, the <laughs> I hate it when white authors do that shit. Like I truly, it truly makes me so freaking mad because it's like, why are you describing your character so ambiguously, like racially ambiguous like that? Because it's like, okay, because it gives me like the Bridgerton vibes. Like, do you guys remember that interview or have you seen that interview where the author of the Bridgerton series was like, oh, you know, when I wrote these characters, I kind of envisioned that anyone could could fit into these roles. Like, I felt like anyone could see themselves as these characters. Whole time, all her characters were described as pale skin this, pale skin that, right? It was Shonda Rhimes. Give credit where credit's due. Shonda Rhimes made that the ethnically diverse series that it is today. And granted, there's no official art for Zayden. There's no official art. Oh my god. <laughs> I saw something. I saw something. <laughs> um, I, I was scrolling through the fan art for the, the book that the author posted. Like, she posted fans' drawings of it. And there's this picture of a black guy, right? And somebody edited white hair on him. Like, they edited wavy Italian man white hair on this, this light-skinned black guy and said, this is Zayden. Like, bro... Ugh, and I'm looking at my hair in the mirror right now, and I'm like, God damn! Like, just say us, just say our hair is ugly and call it a day, cause like, this is really freaking crazy. <sighs> I don't know. It just feels intentional. It just feels like kind of yucky, and intentional, as far as like the racial ambiguity of how they describe characters. Like that's like that's like you know how when white women are like, oh, I like my men tall, dark, and handsome, and the whole time they mean like a white man that can get tan and not red in the sun it's like that's not dark i don't know what you're talking about that's not dark that's what is that <sighs> and we've got to stop using bronze his bronze skin this bronze skin that because i think from now on bronze should mean black color a brown man brown person and not no olive toned italian and here's the thing i have nothing wrong with my um characters that look like italian hot italian men like i love that honestly i love that but why are we what is what is this tawny brown skin and cloud of black curls when the fan art looks like that and she's reposting that fan art and there's no official character art at least on her instagram or her website what is that what is that telling us like implicitly hmm to me seems to me like they don't want to commit like the publishing house was like oh we don't want to commit to saying that he's white or black or whatever. It's a fantasy novel. It doesn't matter. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Because why they edit that black man with white hair? That's <laughs> annoying. I just screenshot that and um, post that on my story. I think, I'm, I think I will because that shit was fucking wild. Anyway, <sighs> to make this lore even more... I don't know, even more pissing me off is what I'm going to say, is the fact that when I read the name Zayden, I was like, what the hell kind of name is that? Like, what kind of what kind of name? Who is Zayden? 
Like, and I was like, as soon as I heard that name, no offense to the white people, but I knew that this book was written by a white person. But then I was like, okay, but Zayden is like, he's given black, like he's given a black man five little bit. You keep saying he has brown skin. Maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe, maybe I'm wrong. And then of course I looked up the author and she looks just like, this is not to be mean. Like I'm, I do this podcast just to be honest. Like I don't get paid. <laughs> like I'm just doing this for fun. So I'm going to be honest. She looks like every other white author out there. You know, blonde hair, blue eyes, millennial cringe. That sounds mean. (laughs) That sounds mean. But it's so true. Like, why do we keep having these authors that look the same become bestsellers? And there's, here's the thing. Her writing was great. I gave the book an eight out of 10. I loved it. I had a great time. But it's like, why every time I look up a book that I like, I look up the author, they look the same. They look like Sarah J. Mass. Like, I love these authors. Don't get me wrong. But it just feels, something about it feels not right. I was, and I was disappointed, to be honest. Like, I was like, oh my god, it might be. And it's because, like, her name is Rebecca Yarrow. So I was like, oh, that sounds kind of ethnic. Have you guys heard, this is a side note, have you guys heard about that thing where white women will marry ethnic men and then take their last name? And then when they become, like, authors, the people, like, reading their books will think that they're ethnic, but really they just married an ethnic man. And I'm sure they're not, that's not intentional. You know what I mean? I'm sure they're not like, I'm going to go marry a Hispanic man and then trick the publishers to think that I'm Hispanic. Like, I don't think they're doing that. But it does make it feel like, you know, when you know that the publishing industry is so, like, intense right now about getting diverse like authors, it does feel like, I don't know, feel kind of like a cheat code, from being honest. Um, anyway, so her name threw me off, but when I looked her up, I was like, bro, it's a white person. Like, I knew it. I knew it. Only a white person come with name Zayden. And okay, so fine. Names like Zayden is like common in fantasy books because it's like, oh, badass. X. His name starts with X. Badass man. He could kill you if he wanted. He could kill you. <laughs> um, I get it. Like, and I think it's fine. I think it's a vibe. But I was like, ain't no way. What the hell? Who is Zayden? I feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm harping on it a little bit too much. But anyway, the reason why her being white is even important to me beyond the choice of Zayden's name and beyond Zayden possibly being black or being described as racially ambiguous in this book, as far as his appearance goes, is because Zayden is a character who is like the son of the leader of the rebellion and his father got executed because obviously he leaded the rebellion and all the people who were in the rebellion got executed and their kids, like the kids of the rebellion people, got like these marks on them to indicate that their parents were traitors, right? And so it feels like this is a common thing in fantasy books where discrimination or prejudice, racism or whatever takes a different form right? In this case is being like the child of a traitor. Um, And they find a way to weave it into the story. And it's like, why do these, I don't know. I know there needs to be conflict in every book. Like I know, I know there needs to be conflict in every book, but it just feels like when white people are using these, what is it? An innuendo, like a, I don't know. I don't know the word. I'm going to say innuendo, like an innuendo towards like the problems that we see in our current society. It feels kind of yucky, like kind of fake deep. You know what I'm saying? And this is a quote that made me think that the book says, 
maybe it's just that I haven't been around marked ones before, but the outright hostility towards them is becoming glaringly, uncomfortably obvious to me. So it feels like this quote is talking about discrimination, right? Like, she's talking about how people are um, treating the people who have the marks that indicate their family was a traitor as subpar, less than, kind of racist kind of vibes, right? Outright treating them bad and thinking that they're scum and stuff like that, um, that they're inferior to them. And it's like, why does this always happen? Like, why do they always do this in the books? Like, wh why are you borrowing other people's struggles is what it feels like for your book. Like, it feels like, feels kind of annoying. I don't know if I'm being like overly sensitive or what. Um, because here's the thing, like, it makes sense that this would happen in the book based on the world that the author has built and all that. Um, but it's like, I don't know. It makes me feel weird, especially since I'm not sure if Zayden is black or not. And I'm like, damn, you chose a black, maybe black character that is black. Is he black? I don't know. Maybe he might be. Um, you chose him to be the one that get all the discrimination. Like, damn, bro. And here's the thing. As a writer, I do know that when you write a fantasy book or when you're world building of any kind of book, right, any kind of story, you borrow elements from the world that you currently live in to make that world feel more realistic. Because if the reader has nothing to relate relate to in the fantasy world, then it's like, it's not as easy to get immersed into the book, right? Because we know discrimination, right? We're familiar with that concept. So to incorporate it into a fantasy book makes the book feel more like something that we can relate to, like we can relate to these characters because they're facing a struggle or a concept that we are familiar with. So I know that, but it just feels like it's like, it's like, they're always borrowing discrimination, they're always borrowing poverty as their conflict in the book. And it doesn't mean that the book is not good, but it does give me a pause sometimes. And it's like, damn, black people, people of color really can't enjoy shit without feeling like, <laughs> like I'm like, hmm, should I be enjoying this book? Like, is this book okay for me to read? Um, I don't know. And this happened to me again when I was reading, um, this is not a fantasy book I'm about to talk about, but Elle Kennedy, she wrote that book, The Deal, right? That got everyone hooked on hockey player romances, basically. And I loved that book. I was like, oh, this book is fire. Let me read the other books in the series. And I did, but there was this one scene where it was like, <sighs> I don't even, I don't even think it needed to be included in the book, but it was like, it was involving with a black man and there was something that felt a little bit like racist about it. And now I can't like read any of her books because I feel like, icky not that it was racist but it just felt like tone deaf i was like oh shit why did she even write that like why did she say that and why didn't they cut that out um and i was like maybe because this book was released in like you know before publishing was like focused on diversity or whatever anyway yeah yeah i feel like <laughs> i feel like that was kind of bleak that was kind of like a Debbie Downer a little bit but it's true like I was thinking all those things while I was reading I was like why are they always using discrimination as a plot point it's not a plot point it's real that shit is real like that is not a joke not that they were treating it as a joke but that is is not and not a source of entertainment to me you know that I just I don't know did it make sense plot wise did it make sense logically in the world that we were that this book is placed in yes it still made me feel like something that I deal with on a daily basis was being used for entertainment, though. Anyway, on a more positive note, this book has amazing twists that, like, really get the reader invested in the book. And it reminds me, I've been watching this 
I've been watching the masterclass of Neil Gaiman. And one piece of advice that's kind of like stuck with me this whole time is um, the whole point of writing a story is to get the reader to ask, to want to know what happens next. And I feel like this book does a really great job of like wanting you to be like, oh shit, like what happens after that? Oh my God, another twist, bro. What is possibly, what could possibly happen next? Like, I feel like the author does a really great job of that. Because like, even with the whole thing about which dragon, if Violet was even gonna get a dragon, right? If a dragon was even gonna like choose her, was crazy to even then figure out which dragon she was gonna get, right? Because at first the book made you feel like, oh, they talk about this like scary dragon that's really big and every, all the other dragons are scared of it and it's like scary looking, right? The black one. I don't know how to say their names. I'm just, I'm not going to even try because why they got so many consonants in it? <laughs> anyway, um, the black dragon. At first they made you think that that was going to be hers. I was like, yep, that one is hers. Um, I know it's hers. Like they, they're telling us, foreshadowing. But then the black dragon was not like going looking for a new writer so I was like oh so it's not gonna be that one it's gonna be this yellow one that everyone like doesn't like because Violet is fragile and weak right and the everyone thinks the yellow one is fragile and weak but the yellow one might show some like something crazy badass right like it might be uh what's it a red herring is that what it is I don't know, but it, it might be like, there might be more power hidden on the surface than you think. That's what my brain was going through. And I was like, okay, so it's not the black one. It's going to be the yellow one. And then after that, I was like, okay, so maybe the yellow one was a test from the black one. So he didn't even have to actually go out there. He went to see which rider would treat the yellow one with respect, even if the that dragon seemed weak and whatever. Like he was testing to see which one he wanted, right? And then Violet passed the test. I was like, oh shit, she's gonna get the black dragon. Like, wow, the most powerful dragon or whatever. Or one of the most powerful dragons. But then she got both of them. And I was like, what the hell? Like every time it was a new twist, I was like, oh shit. Like that's, wow, I didn't even see that coming. Um, so I think there was like a really great job of like asking me what happens next. And it, it was so good to the point where it was like at the end of almost like, I would say 75, 80% of those chapters, I was reading the next chapter because of the cliffhanger that that chapter had left me on. Anyway, let's go back to Dane, right? The 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 wimp, basically. <laughs> he was so irritating. Like, I was so irritated the whole time. Because I was like, he is the epitome of all men have his audacity. Because I was like, bro, like, you've got a lot of fucking nerve. You got a lot of nerve. Because, like... Like, <laughs> Zayden literally asked him, like, would you have broken the rules to, like, save Violet's life? And he's like, no, I wouldn't have because the rules are more important. The rules are what holds our society together. And I was like, bro, don't, didn't you just say you were in love with her? Like, are you dumb? You're not in love with her then. <laughs> You're like, that's so crazy. And the fact that he said that he wouldn't save her life in front of Violet, like he knew she was there, was so wild. I was like literally speechless. I was like, bro, you could have just lied. Like you could have just said, yes, I would have broken the rules. And even though you know you like actually wouldn't have like, damn, <laughs> like, why did you say that? And I think it's cause he was so convinced. He was like, oh, but Violet, you would understand like you're the same way, right? The rules are the most important. She was like, no, no, I don't understand. Actually, that was actually so crazy that you said that and you hurt my feelings. Don't talk to me. <laughs> like, I was like, I agree, you need to leave. But then Violet says that, she says, I've always known deep down that Dane valued rule and order more than relationships, more than me, but to have it so cruelly displayed cuts deeper than any sword. 
And then he like tries to justify that he said that he wouldn't have. He's like, oh, but it would have killed me to see something happen to you. But the rules, but the rules, like, no, it wouldn't have. It wouldn't have though, truly. And then when, now that I'm like looking back at my notes and I know that he betrays her later in the book, like he reads her memories without her consent. I'm like a little, getting a little <laughs> heated. I'm like, it, the, mm, the fact, the fact, the fact that he knew that he betrayed her and that he knew that he was sending them to their death in that battle at the end of the book, right? But he lets her go anyway. Like, I mean, he tries to stop her a little bit. He's like, no, don't go, you'd be safer with me. But then in the end, he's like, he, he still lets her go though. Like he doesn't even tell her. I think actually, I think he doesn't tell her that um, like it's literally a death mission because, you know, cause he snitched to his father like a little bitch. <laughs> because um i think that in that scene he finds out that like violet and zayden are together and he's like how could you be together with the traitor of our nation your mother is the commander and then there's that whole plot line where um zayden's father killed her brother and then um what it his her mother killed his father and it's like oh we can't be together because our families have killed each other how could we possibly be together like you know all that and so that's what dan is thinking like he's like what the hell is wrong with you like are you dumb this man is a killer <laughs> but he's wrong anyway is he wrong i don't know because this is not the this is not the last book in the series but here's what really got me about dane's character that made me really think he was like a miserable spineless worm the fact that he like spends most of his time in the beginning of the book or most of the time in the entire book trying to convince Violet to become a scribe anyway. Like he's like, I figured it out how you can escape because you'll die here because you're too fragile and you're too weak and I can't protect you 24 seven. Um, so just don't do, don't listen to your mother. Um, I have a plan so that you can still become a scribe if you want, right? And whole time Violet's like, but what if, what if I kind of want to though? Like, I kind of feel like I thought, I thought like I couldn't do it, but it's starting to look like I can do it. So I kind of want to see it through and see if I can actually do it. Yeah. So that's how she was feeling. So the fact that he was trying to convince her to defy her mother, right? Who wants her to become a dragon rider. And the fact that he thought that that was okay, like for her to break the rules or to her, for her to defy the rules that her mother had set for her. But it wasn't okay for him, like Violet, to, for Violet to ask him to break the rules of the society and whatever, whatever, like whatever was in the way of his promotion or whatever was not okay. Like I was so blown. I was like, so you're going to ask her to break the rules, but you wouldn't break the rules for her. But you're asking her to break the rules for you. Because he, he spent all the time, he's like, if not for yourself, then do it for me. I can't bear to see you die. But then you wouldn't break the rules to save her. I was like, what? Make up your mind. Make up your mind. That's how I felt. <laughs> That's how I felt. But yeah, I mean, the book was good. I had fun. But it was like that whole, it, was, it got predictable. You know, you know, at the end of the book, you know that they're going to find out that the government was lying to you and Satan betrayed you because he's working for the other side. You know, Jalen betrayed Violet. Like I knew his betrayal was coming. I knew Liam was going to die like in that fight scene. I knew that someone pivotal, someone who had emotional impact in the book would have had to die in that scene. So that felt predictable. Zayden's betrayal was like predictable. You know, the love interest, you know, you don't know everything about him kind of thing. Like he has secrets from you. He's betrayed you. He's working for the enemy. Like why does every fantasy book follow this trope? I feel like 
Sarah J. Mass's books don't follow this trope, though. Most of them. I'm thinking Crescent City and um, A Court of Thorns and Roses, Throne of Glass. Like, they don't follow that trope. Thinking about Crescent City, though, uh, Zayden really does feel like the love interest in that book. Because he's, like, you know, he's traitor kind of thing and rebellion and Mark's tattoos. <laughs> so, um, hmm. That's interesting. I just thought of that. But yeah, and it follows the whole, your society's not what it seems, they fed you lies trope. Like, okay, been there, done that. Why do they always end up like this? But here's the thing, it feels kind of greedy for me to ask for, like, um, like a, another twist. Like, to be like, oh, I saw that coming. When we, she gave us so many good twists, like, throughout the book, and so many good cliffhangers and chapters that left you wanting more, that, I don't know, maybe that's why it felt so kind of underwhelming to be, like, able to finally predict what was going to happen. I mean, it was still a good book. Like, it was still fine. Like, it's fine to have some parts that are predictable. Like, it's fine. But it was like, I don't know, she set the bar so high. <laughs> um, but I did not see, though, I didn't see the the book, like, I didn't see it coming that Zayden's point of view was going to be, like, the final chapter of the book. I was, I was glad. I was glad, though, because I've read a lot of romance books lately, and I love it when they give us, like, the male love interest point of view. Because basically all it is is, like, I'm so obsessed with this girl. I'm so obsessed with this girl. Like, that's basically what it is. But every time I'm like, wow, this is amazing. This is peak literature. Like, this, it doesn't get much better than this. <laughs> um, yeah. So I didn't see it coming. I was thrilled, though. But what really got me was that Brennan, the, the person that... Violet, the reason why, the whole reason why Violet didn't like Zayden, because, you know, her father killed her brother, which makes sense, um, that why you would hate that person, even though it, it wasn't him that did it, but anyway, it still makes sense, um, the fact that he was alive, and the fact that he's working with Zayden, I was like, bro, what, what, and the book just ends, because, and, but here's the thing, good news, there's some good news, the sequel comes out November 7th, and it's called Iron Flame, I don't know what Iron Flame means, like, what is, what does that mean? I don't know. I guess we'll find out in November. But I'm kind of glad it comes out in November because I'm like, I'm also glad I read this book like later. <laughs> I read it because everyone's talking about it on Instagram. Um, but waiting this point is like good because now the book is coming out soon. It's coming out in a couple. This is like the shortest amount of time I've had to wait for a book, especially if you read Sarah J. Mass's books and you're like, God damn, like I got to wait till next year and a half, year and a half. You can't complain, though, because you get a lot of, you know, it's, it's a thick book when it does come out. But I was like, oh, shit, November 7th, here I come. I'm excited. Um, which you're probably like, Sydney, what is wrong with you? You're excited or what? Didn't you just go on that whole race theory tangent <laughs> earlier in the episode? I did. And I'm allowed to do that and still be excited about the book. Sometimes it's just like that. Like, the book was good. It had me up till 3 a.m. I had some qualms, but I was I was having a good time. Anyway, <laughs> I think I'm going to end the episode there. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at Jumble Podcast. Also, TikTok and YouTube at the same handle. Also, make sure to leave a review if you enjoyed this episode. I see you guys leaving reviews. I'm, I'm like, mwah, mwah, thank you so much. <laughs> see it? It, made me, it makes me thrilled. Like, I'm like, oh my God, like, people are actually listening. That's crazy. Anyway, um, yeah, thanks for leaving a review if you have. Leave a review if you haven't already. I would love to hear what you think about the podcast. Also, um, I'm kind of thinking about reading more YA books. Like, it was so nostalgic. Um, it felt, the vibes were immaculate. Reminds me of 
a time when reading was my life in middle school. I kind of feel like going back and reading those books too because I'm like, bro, what did my 12-year-old brain miss that my 22-year-old brain would pick up on now, you know? Because I, I definitely would have missed the whole ambiguous race thing for Zayden and I also definitely would have missed like the using discrimination as a plot line. Yeah, food for thought. Anyway, thanks for listening. Tune in next Sunday for another episode of Jumbo Podcast.